What would you say is the biggest challenge that these students face on a daily basis? I really do think it, it's identity and finding out who they are. It seems like in our culture, and you, you can tell from you know watching whether it's the political battles uh, in the news or just even the tragedies recently, I think kids are dealing with a form of, of brokenness that I would say is, is hopelessness. They don't look out and they don't see this bright future that you and I grew up with, with all these possibilities available. Um, they carry stress. The number of kids that I have coming to me with anxiety and stress is unbelievable. And to the point where they really want to give up. The things that happen behind the closed doors of the school campus go beyond just math problems and adolescent crushes. There are deeper issues that only teachers know about when they are with the students the majority of the day. Today, we have a conversation with a middle school teacher who lives out his faith in the classroom and how that faith has brought upon attacks to him and his entire school district. I'm Jeff Eckert. I'm Jason Brewer. And this is The Thought Factory. The Thought Factory podcast is brought to you by Never the Same, cultivating students through biblical discipleship and spiritual disciplines using theology, community, and technology. Learn more at neverthesame.org. Thank you for joining us here on the Thought Factory Podcast. We're excited to have you with us. Our listenership continues to grow. We're amazed. We're just so grateful that you listen to us. Hopefully you're subscribed. If not, please do so. And if you haven't, go back and listen to our uh, social media series that we are just coming out of. We did three episodes on students and technology called The Digital Life. And our last episode was called The Internet Never Forgets. Powerful, powerful episode talking uh, with Chris McKenna, who's with Protect Young Eyes. Listen, you need to hear what he has to say. If you're working with students in today's age, in the digital age, you need to go back and to hear what he has to say. It was a great episode. And now, just a little forecast here. The next episode, we're going to turn a lot of this over to students themselves. We haven't really done that before. We're excited about that. You're going to be hearing from them some of their stories. So uh, stay with us for that. We're, We're jumping into something new here called Behind Closed Doors on Campus, and we're talking about what's happening behind the closed doors of schools. Right now, as we record this, something very significant happened in our nation with this school shooting in Florida at Douglas High School. And if you go a few episodes back, you may have uh, heard our interview with Josh Liggins, a teacher in that school system, a dear friend of ours, uh, a great person that gives us an insider's perspective on that, since that event, there is the public discussion has opened up about the school campus. And at Never the Same here, our organization, we, we understand and we have a lot of our ministry really based around the strategy of how important the campus is. We're going to be talking about that a little bit today and over the next couple episodes. Why is the school important? It is an important place in our society. And let me just ask you this. If you're a homeowner, think about this. When you buy a house in a community, what's one of the first things that you find out about about where to buy a house? Even if you don't have kids, people ask about the school system. Does it have a good reputation? Does it have a bad reputation? School systems drive local economies uh, as well as many other things. The reputation of communities often uh, lies upon the reputation of that local school and school system. So schools are important. We're talking about what's happening behind the scenes. So today... Uh, we're excited to get into this episode. As always, uh, jump in on our social media links. 
Never the same on our Facebook page where these episodes are listed. You may want to leave a comment or connect with us, as well as other things happening in our ministry. Also, don't forget to go to neverthesame.org slash blog. That has a companion blog that will go with this episode, as we do with all of our episodes, where you can dive in more to the information. But today, we're interviewing a person that I deeply respect and admire. He uh, has been a teacher in the in the public school system for a few decades, and we're going to be listening to an interview and a conversation that Jason has with our good friend Jeff Henderson. Well, joined with me in the studio, I have the great Jeff Henderson. Jeff Henderson and I, we go way back. You may not know Jeff Henderson, so I want to give you a little bit of a an introduction to the Jeff Henderson that I know. Jeff Henderson is an award-winning chef, best-selling author, and a popular public speaker. He is also a former felon, having served nearly a decade in prison for cocaine. He has also become an inspiration to other people. I think you looked up, you Googled your friend wrongly, because, well, no, I haven't been a felon. I do like cooking mac and cheese. I don't think those all fit, Jay. So you didn't write this Wikipedia page about yourself? Uh, no, um, never written anything on Wikipedia. I'd like to try. I hear it's doable. but So pass aside, this is your former life. You don't work as a chef or yeah, you're not no. in mm-hmm. jail anymore for... Um... Not, well, I was never in jail, so... Oh, it's right. Not in so anymore. all of that aside, <laughs> uh, you are a middle school teacher... For math, right? Uh, no, you can't count on that. It's it's English. Correct me if I'm wrong. You're wrong. <laughs> All right, you are. I'm a, an English teacher. Middle you are school. Middle correct. school English teacher, and a former Olympic wrestler. Well, Olympic hopeful on that level. Traveled a lot. Trained. Traveled. Wrestled overseas for the U.S. Yeah. Uh, tomato, tomato. Hopeful. You know. Or Olympic, it's it's all the same. I was in the trials, correct. Six of one, half a dozen of another. You know, you you were making your way to the Olympics, and since wrestling is a winter Olympic sport, and the winter Olympics, no, you want to be correct. You, it's it's a summer Olympic sport, correct? Uh, okay, are you adding that to your Wikipedia page? All this information because it might need if to be I updated. Start one, I I might put that in there. Well, in all seriousness, Jeff Henderson and I, again, we do go way back. And uh, we're not from jail, right? <laughs> no, not from jail. When I became a youth pastor at a local church, and we crossed paths, and uh, we started working together in the ministry. I got to know you. You worked at the middle school across the street from the church, and since then we've developed a, a long-lasting relationship of uh, puns and laughter and... Punishment, something like that. Yep, Correct. exactly. So I welcome you to our fabulous studio at Never the Same, the Thought Factory studio. Thank you, Jeff Henderson, for making the time. Wonderful to be here. Right. We've grown up, haven't we? Well, Lord, I hope so. Well, in this episode, we are talking about the behind the closed doors of the school campus. And because you have been in the education system for how many years? Well, 30 years, 25 of it in the middle school. Yeah. Now, why did you choose to teach middle school? A lot of people chafe when they think of middle schoolers and adolescents and hormones that are raging and moving. But there's something about their moldability 
that makes them fascinating to me. It's almost, I feel like sometimes a scientist, you know, <laughs> being able to experiment because literally every one of those kids, boys and girls, they're all different. So it really is a unique opportunity. Describe the culture, describe even maybe what it looks like now, but how it has changed over your tenure. Well, you know, you go back 25 years and it was a simpler world. We didn't have the technology, we didn't have the computers, the phones, the gadgets. So really it was, when you think of a simpler world, there wasn't as much to contend with. Um, that's kind of a nice scenario looking back. Uh, the change has been, I wouldn't say immediately rapid, but it seems like it's rapid because it crashes in uh, with such an intimidating factor when you look at everything that's available to kids. So when I began with middle school, the issues um, might have been family issues. They could have been educational. Certainly there was always a level of divorce. There's a level of um, family issues kids have, have dealt with. But as it's progressed, it's gone way beyond that. You know, as, as you know, as a youth person, Jay, uh, identity is absolutely hitting our kids square in the face. They see identity from all over the world. What would you say is the biggest challenge that these students face on a daily basis? I really do think it, it's identity and finding out who they are. It seems like in our culture, and you, you can tell from you know watching whether it's the political battles uh, in the news or just even the tragedies recently, I think kids are dealing with a form of, of brokenness that I would say is, is hopelessness. They don't look out and they don't see this bright future that you and I grew up with, with all these possibilities available. Um, they carry stress. The number of kids that I have coming to me with anxiety and stress is unbelievable. And to the point where they really want to give up. But the other one too is what the media has brought in. And as a, a teacher, as an adult in this culture, to see what our media has fed kids and what they have available is heartbreaking because it's a, it's a deluge. The things they see online, the things they deal with. And obviously with recent events that have occurred in our culture with um, the most recent mass shooting at a school in Florida, amongst the culture of division, amongst the culture of the hate. So how does a school come together and, and bring unity? Jay, challenged kids come from challenged homes. They've got some challenges in their lives that have taken the wind out of their sails and they really haven't been patched into school. And maybe for years they've struggled. So we get them and we really target those kids. We realize that by sixth grade, if we don't reach them and they move on with in grade levels without intervention and help, then they're the most likely candidates statistically for dropping out of school, for ending up in jail, for committing crimes, and for having a life and a future that's bleak. So we do have intervention right in school, but the other part of it is that our school trusts us for as individual teachers is to find out who those students are and to make an impact on them on a daily basis as much as we can, as often as we can to reach out to them, whether it's during class, after class, making connections at lunchtime. Amongst all the challenges that you see as a teacher in these students' lives from broken homes, from the what you're talking about, the things that just steal the, the wind out of their sails. How have you seen schools be a solution to some of these challenges? Part of our population is going to be dealing with deep issues, and we, we, we work to identify who those kids are. When I see a student who's struggling, 
I'm going to be intentional and I'm going to step in however I can. You mentioned to me that students ultimately want to know, does anyone know me? Does anybody recognize me? Am I valuable at all to anyone to take a moment? Share with our audience a story of what that looks like. Two individuals that, you know, I didn't know what was going on in their lives at the time, but over the years, and just what I said, taking a moment with a student, pulling them into the hallway, what's going on? You're not yourself. You're normally a great writer. This is a letter from one student that I pulled her in the hallway and said, you know, you're a great writer, great student. Today, you're just not even starting. What's going on? Well, my parents are getting divorced. Nobody seems to have time for me. And just taking a moment to pray with that student. And what the letter said is, you took a moment to pray with me, and you didn't realize that that night I had fully intended and planned on a way to end my life. And until you prayed, I didn't realize that God had a purpose and vision for me. And she continued to write, I'm 25 now, and I'm leading a women's Bible study. I love God, and I just look back, and I think of those moments where you just took time to pray with me. You noticed something. Because of who you are, and how you approach relationships with other people, and you just naturally bring God's love into those relationships, it's come under fire because you are also a public teacher. You work at a public school because you are willing to take time to pray for students, because you are willing to ask those questions that dig deeper under the surface that draw out issues that start to heal somebody, start to see transformation. You start to speak truth into people's lives. And because of that, you are under fire. I don't know if you want to share with our audience with what has transpired in the last few months. It started back in November when um, I had a student teacher and she was in class teaching and I was in our library grading papers because I'm an English teacher and that's what I do. Um, My principal walked in, he's a great guy, and he walked in and he said, "Uh, you need to be in my office in five minutes. Our assistant superintendent will be there, and you will have a union rep. Those words must have left me flushed white as a ghost because that's like somebody saying, CBS News is at your door. Um, first thought, what did I do? What must have I done? I couldn't think of anything and walked in, and our assistant superintendent set a letter in front of me that he said, you know, you need to read this. Is a letter sent to our school district by an, an organization called MACRA, and I forget what all the letters stand for, but basically they're like the ACLU. They're a watchdog organization that looks for places where faith is taking place where they don't want to see it. And of course, public school is one of those places. So at any rate, in essence, the letter uh, stipulated that I had broken the establishment clause of the Constitution. I had bullied, harassed, coerced kids um, into Bible studies. That, that, that was my demeanor and tenor. I had, um, it also said that I had a, a pastoral persona, according to one family, and demanded um, that the school suspend and fire me uh, immediately and that they were going to seek uh, legal work if the district didn't act very quickly. So obviously I was shocked, um, didn't know what to say. Um, the letter just painted the picture of me being such a, an ogre with faith that um, immediately um, my district was very supportive with the idea that, you know, um, we realize that these are large terms. 
We already know who you are, but we will have to hire an attorney. Um, that attorney will comb through all of these allegations, and it'll be a process. Um, you will always have a, a union rep with you, but this is the process we have to begin. So thus began a journey where uh, they hired an attorney, a constitutional expert from a very large firm, uh, who sat down with me the next week and just combed through my life as an educator in person to try to get at um, what's the heartbeat of what I'm, what I'm doing. Um, have I bullied kids? Have I harassed them? In, in the first meeting, uh, I was asked questions about Bible studies, about praying with kids, about relationships with teachers, about talking to teachers, about everything you can imagine. Um, then uh, the next process was uh, the attorney uh, investigating and interviewing teachers, administrators, parents uh, to go through the findings. So then a few weeks later, um, I was asked for another meeting with the attorney, and then uh, there were no witnesses, um, which that was good for me to hear. There's nobody really from the school that had any uh, thing to come forward with. But this organization said that there were several uh, emails they received um, stipulating things. And so I had to answer questions about, you know, you've somebody said that you have removed their child from the class because they didn't have the same denominational background as you. And you said their denomination wasn't Christian and you lowered their grades. And so I just went through strategically and systematically, you know, those accusations. Now, something that happened between the first interview and that interview was in the first interview, I felt like my back was against the wall. I'm being investigated and interrogated. And in between that and the next one, to be honest with you, I, I began to just really seek God early in the morning uh, more than I, that's a, that's a routine for me. And I don't mean that in any rote or religious way. I love meeting with the Lord in the morning, but it became a very intense, deep time of God. I'm seeking you because I really don't know what you're doing. I've had 30 years of trying to serve you in school and I really don't get what you're doing right now. And as I began to seek him and meet with him, I began to get what he was doing. He was wanting me to seek him and meet with him. And he began to, in fact, Jason, one of the biggest turning points to me before the second meeting was part of my devotion, I would just spend on a treadmill just praying, just praying my heart out before God. And one morning where I work out on this treadmill, it wasn't a full-blown vision, but in my mind as I was running, I, I just got this picture of the biggest, most majestic face of God that I had ever imagined. And the face wasn't clear, but I knew it was God. It was loving. It was a, a face of justice. And all of a sudden, this little person walked out in front of God. And I recognized it as the, him as the person who was doing the attacking and coming after me through this organization. And Jason, my heart broke. I was nearly weeping on that treadmill thinking, God, you have to save him. He, he's Paul today. He's persecuting the church. He's kicking against you, and God, you have to save him. He, I don't want him to be judged for this. I want you to save him. And so it quickly shifted my focus from me and what was going on to, okay, God, I get it. What's the possibility that you just want me to know about this organization and begin to pray and to have people begin to pray? So Jason, that's when it shifted in the focus for me that I need, to, I need to walk in this trial knowledgeable God. And so in the next meeting, 
you know, I, I love reading Paul's letters and Paul's journeys, and I, I was intrigued by how Paul always had an answer uh, for somebody. And so I thought, this is an opportunity to sit down with this attorney. So I'm going to give testimony when I sit there. I'm not just going to be, you know, somebody being fished for. I'm going to give testimony. So when the question came up, what about this person that's a different denomination? You know, they're actually, uh, I was told, well, you said because they're Catholic. And my response was, my mother was in the hospital for two and a half years when I was a kid. She was passing away. She eventually did. During that two and a half years, my grandma, who was Catholic, was the first person to ever take me to church. And we sat in Catholic Mass, and she gave me a rosary, and she taught me a rosary. And during those times when I was losing my mom, my faith in God and who he was became real. So no, I don't look at Catholicism as any different. I don't go to a Catholic church. However, I embrace the beginning of my life when God became real. Next question was, well, we've heard that you've pushed kids out of class saying you want to pray with kids. And uh, I had to think about that one. And I thought, well, I'll give you a scenario where you might even take it that I did that, but let me explain the picture. She said, well, go ahead. So it was another opportunity for a testimony. I said, well, there was a day when a boy raised his hand and he was distraught and he said, my parents said, let me go to my uncle's funeral this weekend because he committed suicide. What's suicide? And why couldn't I go? And all at once, throughout a classroom of 30 kids, probably two-thirds of the hands went up. I had somebody in my family commit suicide one after the other. My grandpa died of cancer. I couldn't go to the funeral. And all of a sudden, there are, there's two-thirds of my class, because of the stories, they're weeping. And finally, one little girl next to me says, I was told uh, when I was six that my dad had a heart attack. But this year when I turned 12, my mom told me that he actually ended his own life. And she began to weep. And one little girl, I take it she must have been a, a little believing girl, she raised her hand and said, Mr. Anderson, you need to pray right now because your class is a mess. <laughs> and I, I said to them, you know, I can't pray for all of you at once. That's, that's not okay legally, but I'll tell you what I'll do. If after class ends, and I'll even let you guys out a minute early, if you want to meet at my desk, I'll pray over any one of you that wants to be prayed for. And I did. I told the attorney, I did pray for those kids that wanted to stay and pray. And it was kind of an amazing time of healing for a lot of hearts. So in this whole process, I tried to let God move me to a place where I was becoming somebody that had a testimony rather than back against the wall. And then a few weeks later, more time went on, um, people began to write letters. They began to speak up. And our district heard from many people that said, we want faith in our community. You know, so often in these situations, it's usually the, the few small voices that overpower everything. But what happened was there was a groundswell of people. They had a, a, a candlelight vigil one night at the high school on this beautiful bridge, and they were praying and singing, and letters were coming in, and in the final meeting, the district told me that at one board meeting, they had so many people compliment them about our district that they felt very strongly that they were going to move in a direction that upheld the law, but also allowed the community to be who they are. And so, in effect, what happened was I was reprimanded for a few things that I had done, which were seen as constitutional violations. Number one, I had a prayer mailbox in my room. It said prayer mail. They said that 
definitely stands as a symbol of religion. That would be an establishment issue, so you need to remove it or change it. So now it sits there as care mail. Kids, it's, it's packed full of prayer requests from kids. Well, kids haven't stopped handing me prayer requests. They're still hanging. The other day, a boy came up and said, my brother has a mask behind his eye, and so now I just take a card and say, here, write it down. I'm on it. The second thing um, was inviting kids to the Bible study that we have on a Wednesday morning before school. Um, I needed to stop inviting kids. I actually had only done that on a couple of occasions, saying, hey, I hadn't seen you here. And so, okay, kids can invite kids. And the third thing was praying out loud in the hallways, um, another establishment issue. So I was reprimanded for those, a letter in my file, which, you know, on, on one level, it bothers me to have a mark against my name professionally, but when I look at it, um, if I have a mark because I've prayed with kids and I've watched anxiety-ridden kids calm under the presence of the Holy Spirit, that's okay then. You know, so I've had to adjust. We still have the Bible study. Kids are coming in by the dozens every Wednesday. The other thing that's happened is God showed me years ago, and I think it was during the time that we were ministering together, um, when the enemy attacks, you need to attack back in two ways. Number one, you need to love the people that are attacking, and you need to pray. So I thought, okay, I'm going to love this person, uh, pray for them, but I'm also going to be wary, and we're going to start a prayer meeting too because we can meet before school. So kids are coming in now another day of the week learning how to pray, and we're learning how to pray for families, our school, claim your campus. Our audience is youth leaders, parents, what would you say to encourage them about the school campus, about what we need to do, the lens that we are looking through in today's yeah. society? It's not a cliche prayer. It's, it's a very powerful prayer. God, break my heart with the things that break the heart of God. If we walk with compassion, if we really care about the students, if a student cares about students in their hallway, if youth leaders begin to have times of tears, heartbreak over students and what's going on, teachers, whomever, parents, if we get God's heart, then he's going to open doors. He's just looking for a hungry heart, a broken heart that wants to be there. I can't change my passion for students and students coming to Christ because I can't change the Jesus who is so alive on the inside of me. I can't see with a different set of eyes. When I see a, a, a sullen face, when I hear of things happening, I have to go to action. I have to talk to students because that's what Jesus has me there for. I have to be creative about it now, but I'm not going to stop because he won't. He is seeking every student he can. So that's number one. Secondly, begin to pray. You know, claim your campus as a part of, of uh, the Never the Same camps and groups. Uh, this ministry is a powerful way for youth people and students and parents to really begin to get serious because it all happens through prayer. It's not lost on me that this was not a singular battle, that a community of believers, the church in our area, rose up praying. The heartbreak initially was my Bible study was going to be taken away. The miracle, prayer broke through. I have a Bible study every week. Prayer did that. So we have to learn to pray over schools and be strategic about how we pray. If a school or a community is dealing with pornography, you pray against it. 
If it's the occult, you pray against it. If it's uh, bullying and, you know, family breakdown, I think you have to get strategic about the prayers too. And of course, the Claim Your Campus prayer app helps with that. So that's, that's the thing, God's heart, and go to work and pray, and then do something. I know you as to be a warrior, a one who is innate a fighter. You will battle. We've battled a number of things together. Um, spiritual battles where we saw the fight coming and we were not shying away. We weren't cowardy. We fought. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what I see in this as well, in this situation with your position being under fire, questioning whether you are in violation of church and state and the Constitution and all of that. But instead of just backing down, you took the fight back. That is a characteristic that I know of as a Jeff Henderson. Um, whether it got you in jail or not, I don't know. <laughs> no, that's still not part of the testimony, <laughs> thankfully. You know, I will say, though, Jason, that, yeah, we never fight alone, do we? No. The brothers and sisters, you being one of them, Jeff Eckert here being another one that came alongside, took time to meet with me and encourage me and pray. It was really brotherhood, sisterhood, people coming along together. So, Jeff, in the months since the process began, full of litigation, lawyers, threat of lawsuits and attacks from this group, what has been the result since? Well, finally, at the end, in the final summation and what the uh, remarks were given by the attorney, is there was, she found zero bullying, zero harassment, that none of the claims uh, had any, any merit to them. Um, so those were all put aside. And she wrote that, she found that all of my intentions were to meet students' needs where they were, whether it was to share faith with them if they were a faith-based person or to meet their needs if they weren't. Um, And I was reprimanded over three items, which were simply having a prayer mailbox, inviting kids to Bible study. We have a Bible study every Wednesday morning before school and praying out loud with kids in the hallway. Those were the three violations that I was reprimanded for. Do you know if the group that was attacking you has backed down or are they appealing and, and coming full force or more force? Their, their statement to the findings were that um, things were kind of glossed over, that they want to pursue uh, more uh, litigation, that they're not going to let this go. It, it's a threat to our school district. So um, my prayers now have turned to, you know, God, defend our district. Uh, for what families in this community want to have happen because, you know, the truth is we do this before school, uh, before the day begins um, on non-school time. And it's all, you know, voluntary. Kids come because they want to. And by the way, students lead every day. They bring devotions. They're fascinating, to be honest with you. Well, thank you for your time, your insight about what happens behind closed doors of a school campus. It is a real honor. Thank you. It's It's a pleasure. Wow, what an incredible interview, and it's so inspiring to hear from Jeff in that conversation with Jason. And as we think about his example, his faith under fire, coming under scrutiny for his faith in Christ, and yet Jeff's humble but very bold response to what happened, and I hope that you were inspired by that. And I hope for anyone that you may know that's maybe going through some difficult or trying circumstances, share this episode with them 
you might know a teacher who is a believer on a school campus, and they may need to hear about uh, Jeff's experience and and his response. And uh, so, what a what a great interview, and and so inspiring to hear about his response of faith in that circumstance. And as we think about this series that that over the next couple episodes. We need to, again, think about why the campus is worth talking about. Two reasons. One is a local perspective. You as a youth worker listening to this, this is where your students are. 50% of their waking day is on a campus. So it's important for us to understand this is the world in which we live. We need to be continuing to learn about it. It's, it's a place that's changing uh, and we need to understand what's happening there. And also from a national perspective. It's the most strategic place to bring change to the future of culture. It's where the rules of engagement for society are formed in the, in the hearts and the behaviors of these students. It's where they're learning to interact with others. It's where they're learning a lot of societal norms. It's a place of influence. It's where the overwhelming majority of the population is there in these school centers in every community in the nation. So that's important. So speaking of national perspective, a couple episodes from now, and I want to make sure you're with us, we're talking about something that we've been hinting towards, but we're making a big announcement that you need to hear and you need to be a part and you need to know what's happening. It's going to be um, very exciting to be able to talk openly about something that we've been dreaming and playing behind the scenes now for a couple of years. So join us for the series and be waiting for that episode uh, two episodes from now, I believe. Yeah, it's actually three. Three episodes from now. Better get that right. Then you might as well make the announcement now. Okay. Just announce it. No, we're going to wait. You can't do it. Do it. Come on. They want want to know about it. Can't do it, Jason. The Thought Factory podcast is brought to you by Never the Same, whose vision is to see new generations transformed in Christ to further the kingdom of God. Learn more at neverthesame.org.